Welcome back to the Corporate Pilot Guys podcast. I'm Rob, and this is Tim. I am Tim. Uh, Rob, how have you been? I've been pretty busy, man. I've, I've been doing a lot of covering for aircraft that have been broken. And I will say the same thing has happened with me, but my schedule has been rearranged at times because of maintenance issues with airplanes. And they're all very safe airplanes, but airplanes are machines. They break. Yes. Uh, we were basically uh, in the California area covering for another aircraft. And, um, and then another aircraft broke, so we were just very, very busy flying back and forth. And uh, yeah, just, you know, just another, another busy month, I guess. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely winter in my area of, uh, of Canada. And I think we might be talking about that today, Tim. Yes, we are. We are going to talk about winter operations and aircraft icing. I wish we were talking about icing on cakes because that's a lot better <laughs> and safer. My favorite. Um, yes, My nobody's favorite. ever nobody's ever died from that. No, no, no. Uh, something else that I do like, and you got some of this just a few days ago, but I sent you some coffee from well, one of my favorite coffee places, uh, Twisted River Coffee Company, which is actually based in Dayton, Ohio, which is the birthplace of aviation. Yes, I received a package in the mail. Um, the The smell that was emanating from it was incredible. I have not had it yet, but I got the stickers. I was excited. They said Dayton, Ohio on them. And I'm really looking forward to trying that coffee, which I know you've tried some pour-overs yes. recently, and you really like those. I really did. He sent the uh, owner of the company, I ordered some stuff, but he sent me some coffee pour-overs which they're looking to bring back to their website. He told me they ha they have a another company that's helping them with those to, to uh, produce them, and they should be available around the first of the year. But think of it as coffee and a little packet, like what you would see in a hotel room when you make coffee uh, with an actual like coffee filter. But this is the same type of thing, but it has little plastic tabs that it holds onto the side of your coffee cup and then you just carefully open the top of the little bag that it's in or the filter, pour in hot water. You have your own cup of coffee. If you have a coffee you really like that they make, you can take it with you anywhere. It's easy to travel. All you have to do is add hot water. And one of the flavors that was in the package that he sent me was Highlander Grog. Mm. And man, talk about some amazing smelling coffee. I opened up the first time I opened the bag, like, holy smokes, does that so smell good. It smelled like a bag of freshly made uh, caramels. Oh, wow. And it just, wow. it smelled like candy. And it tasted amazing too, but it didn't have a, a taste that was really different than coffee. Some people will drink coffee with creamer and a whole bunch of uh, chocolate chip cookies. They pour that, that <laughs> dairy creamer in. It's like, if you're going to do that, don't even bother drinking coffee. I drink my coffee black, but this coffee, even the Highlander Grog, you can drink it straight up. It smells amazing. It tastes good, but it still tastes like coffee. But it's wow. fantastic stuff. And they sell it in bags. They sell it in whole beans, I believe. Um, but fantastic stuff. We'll put a link in the description uh, to that coffee company. But it is uh, TwistedRiverCoffeeRoaster.com. And it's a family-owned business based in Dayton, Ohio, which is the birthplace of aviation from 
the, the uh, Wright brothers. They were born right there in, in Dayton. Yeah, Tim and I really believe that you should get out and support your local coffee roasters. A lot of them are small businesses, family-owned, and it's really, really important to support your local industries. We love coffee. We love our coffee producers. Just go out there and drink some coffee. Yeah, I, I agree that I love the small businesses. You get the large companies, you get the same coffee everywhere, but I love these small individual coffee companies. It's just a, a different touch, and it's nice knowing that it's coming from a small group of people who are yes. very passionate about coffee versus it's made in a machine and mass-produced. Exactly. Rob, a few days ago, we had a question on our Corporate Pilot Guys podcast Discord server. Yes. From a listener who is a private pilot, instrument pilot, and commercial pilot. And his question is, Hey guys, this question is from a new commercial pilot. I currently have two checkride failures, one private and one commercial. Private was due to a poor reaction to wind shear and not going around, but performed a safe landing and the commercial was from failing a Shondell. Do you think it will hurt my chances of finding a job moving forward? Rob, what advice do you have for him? Well, Tim, you and I have spoken in the past about you know, failures of tests and that kind of thing and check rides. And, you know, it's something that you need to to just allow yourself to get past. Um, in a nutshell, you know, should you be concerned about it? Yeah, you should be concerned about it. It's, 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 it's something that, you know, you want to move on from. But is it going to hurt you from a jobs perspective? I don't think so. Most importantly, tell the truth if you're asked about what the circumstances were. Do not try and hide, you know, you know, whatever you think you need to hide. Do not do that because, the, you know, the truth is going to come out at some point. Yes, exactly. And there there are a lot of pilots out there who have failed check rides. Like we talked in the past. I'm one of them. I, I am too. I, and I, we yeah. did that in the very beginning of one of our podcasts. Have you ever failed a check ride? You answered yes, and I did too. Yes. We're both ATP rated professional pilots. I've been flying corporate almost 20 years. You're not... You're about right there also. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have both failed check rides. I failed my CFI check ride. I failed a type check ride for the airplane I'm currently flying. Uh, that was 12 years ago. But God. just like you said, it happens. You have to move on from it, learn from it. Don't do the same mistake again and fail another check ride, but move on from it. And like exactly like you said, if they ask about it, be honest. Don't try to hide it. No. And I think they'll respect a person more if you say, yeah, I, I have failed a check ride. This is what I did. It was dumb. This is what happened. This is what I should have done. Yeah. And being able to learn from your mistakes, I think anybody, like a potential employer, that's what they want. They want somebody that's teachable, that's easy to train, that's trainable. So I think that's the right mentality to take Absolutely. in this situation. We all make mistakes, own up to the mistake, move on. So moving, speaking of moving on, winter operations, it's mm -hmm. that time of year. We have to deal with this stuff from about October, November, all the way through probably March and April. Uh, for you, probably a little bit sooner and a little bit later um, being in Canada. Winter flying is much more challenging than flying in the summertime. Summertime, you have thunderstorms. Thunderstorms move out of the way. You go land. They're not that difficult or delay a flight. Icing is a little bit different because you can't always avoid it, but you can fly in it 
can be perfectly fine flying conditions. We can, our airplanes can fly in known icing, but we cannot fly generally with ice on the airplane from on the ground to take off. What is it? What is this new concept? It's not really a new concept. It's a smart concept, but it's becoming more of a regulatory or is a regulatory concept known as clean aircraft concept. Can you elaborate on what the clean aircraft concept is? Absolutely, Tim. I'm going to have to take you a little bit back into time, though, to do that. So way back in March of 1989, an aircraft called a Fokker F-28, and I love saying that. Uh, yeah, you're going to say it. You got to be careful when you say it. I do. I'm saying it appropriately. Uh, Air Ontario crashed at the end of a takeoff um, and killed 65 passengers, three of them uh, and four crew members. So because of this crash and the aircraft is destroyed in the post-crash fire and then another crash that happened in Flushing, New York with another Fokker F-28, a commission was, was held in Canada and... This commission basically concluded that the information uh, regarding the operation of aircraft on wet and contaminated runways at the time was not basically adequate. So they they what they did, Tim, is they created ground icing operation program and ground icing operation standards, and that basically prohibited pilots from taking off when there are frozen contaminants um, that are on critical surfaces of aircraft. So we're talking frost, ice, snow on critical surfaces, such as wings, propellers, stabilizers, and any other area on the aircraft that has a significant operation to the aircraft. So the aircraft can be affected in two different ways. The additional weight of the ice or snow adds to the total weight of the airplane, uh, increasing the lift required for the aircraft to take off. And then the other one, which is something that they'd learned a lot about during this crash, is the formation of frost, ice, or snow changes the airflow over the wing, reducing the overall lift um, an aircraft can produce. Now, with just a little bit more technical information, with as little as 30%, so I should say, if, if we compare um, a wing um, and ice, snow, and that kind of thing, um, and, and the thickness of those debris to a medium or coarse sandpaper. So we're just, we're talking like sandpaper. Um, as much as a medium or coarse sandpaper thicknesses would actually reduce the wing lift by 30% and increase drag by 40%. So in a nutshell, some rules were created that prevent aircraft from taking off unless all that contamination is removed and that in Canada is called the clean aircraft concept, which spread around the world and now affects yes. every single pilot. Yeah, we have that here. And sadly, the rule shouldn't need to be there to tell people to have a clean aircraft concept to begin with. Yeah. It should always have a clean aircraft. You should never take off with ice on it um, for the most part. There are exceptions um, that we did talk about. So what are some of the exceptions, where could you have ice on the airplane and have it be okay? Well, for example, um, you could have ice, say, on the top of the aircraft. Um, you could have anywhere. Um, but here, here's, yeah, for sure. Go ahead. One thing, like, talking about ice on the top of the aircraft, a little bit of frost on the top of the fuselage is one thing. 
Mm -hmm. But even if there's like, what if there's a chunk of snow on the top of the aircraft? And I say this not because it happened to me, but it happened to people I know that they took off with a little piece of snow on the top of the fuselage and then maybe they didn't see it. I don't, I don't know. This was 20 years ago, but they took off and that little piece of ice went down the side of the fuselage and in through the engine and ice, big chunks of ice and turbine engines do not mix. No. So frost is not going to come off the airplane. A chunk of snow or something up there absolutely w will come off. Yes. Could go into the engine, cause a lot of damage and possibly the engine could quit. It so, absolutely could. Absolutely. So that is um, one difference. So it depends on the type. But if you had the choice of taking off with a clean aircraft, 100% clean, or leaving a little bit of frost on the top, what would you do? Well, Tim, uh, specifically the aircraft that I fly has something called a supercritical wing. And basically that allows for uh, low-speed approach, high-speed cruise. But what it does, what the problem with it, though, is, is that it's not very forgiving when it comes to frost. And there was an accident that happened back in 2002 with the Challenger 604 where there was just a little bit of frost on one of the wings, so an astrometric amount between the left and the right wing. And because there was that difference during rotation, um, one of the wings stalled, and unfortunately there was a dynamic rollover and the aircraft crashed. It's a very, very sad incident, but it basically echoes how important it is for our aircraft with supercritical wings. And to answer your question, I got to have a clean plane before we go flying. Complete. Yeah. I'm the same way. I want a clean airplane. I, I don't want to take off with a little bit of ice anywhere. No. And that's no. the next thing we're going to get into is de-ice fluids. And yes. if you get the aircraft de-iced, uh, the person doing the de-icing... They're going to make sure that it's clear, but how I operate, you should also get out and check yes. and make sure that the airplane is in fact clear because they might not see the ice. It just doesn't matter, but they're not in the airplane flying it. You are. So always take the time to get out and, and check. If you can, there are times when you cannot, because there are times when you'd get the ice with the engines running, passengers loaded. When you're number one for or getting ready to take off, they'll de-ice you close to the runway. And it varies from airport to airport, FBO to FBO. Yes. But when you can look, and what I do is I, I do get out and, and and look. But also be leery of stepping in the de-ice fluid because that stuff is nasty. Very slippery. Be careful. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and there are different types of de-ice fluid, uh, type one, two, three, and four. Like aviation fuels... 100 low leads, light blue, Jet A is clear, straw colored. They're, they're different colors to distinguish them from one another. Uh, de-ice fluids are the same way. So there's type 1. When we fly into an airport, we fly through icing conditions, we land, we have residual ice on the airplane where the de-ice systems couldn't get ice off, like on the wingtips, or say the airplane's been parked overnight, there's frost on it. Mm -hmm. We'll use type 1 to remove the ice and contaminants off of the airplane. Beyond that, there's different. There's type two, three, and four. Uh, normally in jet aircraft, we'll use type four. It's green in color. Um, it's thicker, and that thickness allows the de-ice fluid to stick on the airplane up to a higher speed. So that would be used 
if the if if there's currently snow, any kind of wintry precipitation, wintry mix, ice pellets, it doesn't matter. But if you're getting precipitation, you need protection on an airplane. That's what Type Four does. It protects the airplane for you to taxi out and take off. And at some point, normally just around rotation speed, that fluid will just break off the airplane. It'll just it'll just slide off the airplane. So when you go to rotate, you have a clean airplane. All the contaminants that were on it that fell onto it while you're taxiing out will just shut off with the fluid. And it's, normally when yeah, it's like a gel, basically. Like if yes. you think of it almost like a, a hair gel. So what that noise was, as a matter of fact, Tim, that specific or, noise. It, no, actually, so what I did before we uh, got going here is I started up my HOT calculator, oh. which is my holdover time calculator, yes. and that is exactly what you just heard. So that was the what they call the lower HOT just expired, and that would require me to jump out of the plane and go do a tactica- tactile inspection of the aircraft. So that was kind of neat that that went off. That is, that's some perfect yeah. timing. Yeah. You planned that out really well, and I had no clue what that was. I thought somebody was calling you, like work needed you to go fly. Yeah, no, What? so what I did is, we, we haven't really talked about this yet, and uh, sorry for interrupting, but basically we have these charts, these tables that come out every single year, and and they're they're pretty complex, and there's a lot, a lot to it, but we use a app called the HOT app, and anybody can buy it, but you got to pay for it. And basically what it does is it creates a hold over time um, calculator for you. And for example, I put in um, the aircraft was exposed to minus 15 degrees Celsius with light snow during the day. And it gave me a hold over time of 45 minutes. So that was the 45 minute expiry time that you just heard there. Now it's completely expired after two hours. After I hit two hours, it's no no longer any use to anybody. We have to go back, spray it off again with that orange stuff that we talked about, type one. Generally, that's that's heated. And um, yeah, this was just generalized type four fluid, 100% and a specific brand called Cryotech. And there's many, many, many different brands. And as you can imagine, with each brand, you know, there's going to be different uh, effectivities to it. So anyways, that was my HOT comment. Okay. Hold over time. <laughs> that was a very good timing. And like we talked about type one. Uh, yeah. Holdover times, every type has a holdover time, but type one is, is very thin. There's no thickeners involved in it or no thickeners Im- embedded into it. Yeah. So type one might only give you protection from active precipitation for just a few minutes. Uh, yeah, I've got it like, right here. Four minutes to seven minutes with yeah, minus so you, 15. You would have to get de-iced while you're running and get right to the uh, runway and take off. I mean, yeah. you have literally no you have literally no time to, to go. Now, if I change the temperature down to, say, minus three, which is pretty common, so that's 27 degrees Fahrenheit, now you have 11 minutes for the basically the the, the beginning of the whole overtime to exp, uh, to expired eight to eighteen minutes maximum, so it's very 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 temperature dependent. Now, yeah, if temperature I'm, dependent, and also precipitation type 
Depending. Yeah. If I move it up to minus 20, I have four minutes. If I go up to minus 30, I have very, very little time. Like, so it's, it's very, very dependent on visibility that you currently have. Specifically, is it day, night? Um, is it, what's the type of the intensity of the snowfall? Is it light, very light? And there's all these different questions that you have to input into your holdover uh, calculator. So one more Which, thing I want to throw to yeah. that. If you have type four and you're talking about holdover times, will your, the, the place where you put flaps in on the taxi out, will that change your position on where you put flaps down for, to set them for takeoff or not? Absolutely. Yes. So that is very dependent on aircraft. So the type of airplane that I fly, we spray with the flaps up. If you yes. spray with them down, then you have to account for that. And you, you may take a, basically kind of a, a hit aerodynamically. Yeah. So you may have a different thing on your aircraft, Tim. Yeah. And I, I knew the answer to that, but that's why I wanted to ask it so you could lead, lead us down that path. But yes, <laughs> the flap position does matter because if that flaps down, that fluid could just run right off. And that's right. you don't have any protection on that, on that surface. That's right. So- we talked about de-ice fluid or de-icing methods on the ground. The best way to get de-ice is to prevent it by getting a, the airplane in a hangar. But Absolutely. if you're at a busy FBO, guess what everybody else is doing? They're doing the exact same thing, so you may not get in a hangar. What I do when a trip is scheduled and I know I'm on it, I call the FBO and I get on the hangar list. You might yes. be number seven on the list. You might be 20, but there's times where I've been number seven and still gotten in a hangar. Um, if you get in a hangar, a lot of times they average 600 to $800 a night, but yeah. depending on how heavy the snowfall is that night or frost, how much, depending on how much de-icing fluid you need or will the airplane will require the next morning, mm -hmm. it's sometimes much, much cheaper to get that airplane in a hangar. But here's the other um, positive. Your airplane's in a warm hangar, you get to pre-flight in a warm hangar. And that makes a huge difference when it's 10 degrees Fahrenheit outside and windy and snowing. It's miserable. You feel like you just won the lottery when you get in the in a in a hangar and you're pre-flighting that thing in the in the warm hangar the next morning, especially early in the morning, like five o'clock. Best thing ever. Well, to talk about money, it this is just a general thing, but 700 gallons of de-icing fluid would cost. To, sorry. Basically, uh, de-icing fluid costs about $20 a gallon, okay? So it changes order, based on where you are. Yeah, it totally does. But this is just a, a generalized thing. So, for example, to do a 737, they're saying it would take about 700 gallons to do a 737. I, I don't know where that tech, that information is coming from. But my aircraft, the Challenger, we have a minimum amount of 112 liters that we have to put on our aircraft. So if you, you can imagine if it costs $20 a gallon and you need 112, you know, liters, we could do some math there. It's good. Like your, your hangar is cheap compared Wait, to. And the better for the airplane. A lot of yeah. the fluid is corrosive to airplanes and we get it. We have to tell our mechanics and they will, they will hose the airplane off. That stuff goes everywhere. It gets in every little nook and cranny imaginable. Yeah. And it'll drip out for days. It's nasty stuff. So if you're doing your Cathay Pacific uh, 
oral exam in the future. Those those nicks and crannies are called quiet areas. And uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> believe it or not. I like and, nicks and crannies. Yeah, nicks and crannies. So what happens is this green goo gets everywhere all over the aircraft, and we use it a lot, Tim. Um, so, for example, if we, if we use it in Western Canada, we fly down to a hot location, the airplane's going to sit for a few days. What happens is all of that gooey green stuff starts leaking out all over the all over the ramp. And I've had people come up to me and say, hey, man, your, your plane's leaking green stuff all over the place. And because uh, they'd never seen it before, right? It was slimed. It's right. slimed. Yeah, the Ghostbusters hit it. Yes. Um, so um, if you do see green goo coming off of a plane, now or you will orange. know. Or orange, yes. Um, but green goo or orange goo means that they probably put type 3 or type 4 de-icing, uh, anti-icing fluid on the aircraft and now it's heating up, and it's just dripping off, and it does look pretty gross. But yeah, yeah. and it, if you step in it, it's slippery. You get it everywhere. It's just like if anybody's touched jet fuel, you know that stuff. It, it's slimy, and you cannot get the smell off of you. This stuff's not much different than that. It's just it's nasty stuff. Yeah, but exactly. it does a great job of getting ice off the outside of an airplane. Yes. So we talked about icing on the ground. Mm-hmm. We get type one, gets the ice off the airplane. Type four prevents it if we have active precipitation. We take off, we get in the air. Let's talk about NAI systems and DA systems we have. If you're flying a 172, what NAI DA systems do they have? <laughs> Not any that I'm aware of. Pedo heat. One. Pedo heat. Sure. But absolutely. Do you have any good at all um, for icing conditions? So in this situation, you get into it, oh, you get need to know what's the fastest way to get out of it. Turn around, higher, lower, um, just avoid it. A good yes. weather briefing and pilot reports, just stay the heck away from it. I've been in 172s and collected ice. I'm sure you have too. I have too, yes. And they'll fly. Those giant struts that are underneath your wing oh my gosh, start they collecting. It. And so if you start seeing... You're looking out and you're flying in the, the conditions that, you know, there could be icing and you start seeing collection of ice. Uh, also, the, it can happen on your 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 tire area, that yeah, is the another brakes. area, brakes, all those things. You need to be proactive and basically get the heck out of there. And um, the other don't thing- Don't freak we, out when you see it. Don't freak out. Still fly. Absolutely. But yes. just keep flying, don't get slow, and just get out of it. Our airplanes are approved for flight into known icing conditions, but we have a lot of anti-ice and de-ice systems on the airplanes. Uh, you probably, like our airplane, you have ice detectors, I'm assuming. We sure do. Because of how the supercritical wing that I've talked about, we have very robust ones. We we have actually two of them. And basically, it's a, a, very, it's a very small vibrating um, probe. Oh. And once it hits a certain frequency, it sets off the frequency changes because of the ice formation mm-hmm. that sets off an alarm. And um, if it gets progressively worse, basically what it does is it says, hey, pilot, I can't turn the anti-icing switches on for you. You need to do it. You need to do that now. Yes. And that's the procedure. It, the light comes on. If you were to pull out the QRH, 
you would turn engine and ice on and turn the now our airplane we have de-ice boots so we can talk about that a little bit i'll talk about the different systems we have sure. so sure we have like a 172 we have obviously there's pedo heat we have static heat uh there's multiple static ports and pedo tubes there's other probes around the airplane that are heated uh our engines if you look at a turbine engine the middle of the where all the turbine blades are connected to that's like the nose cone or the the bullet some people call it that's always heated because you don't want ice there if it accumulates there that ice can just fling off and go right into your engine and cause damage you don't want that exactly uh, the rest of the turbine blades are spinning so fast and cruise that chances are the, the centrifugal force won't allow ice to accumulate but when we turn engine anti-ice on that heats up components inside the engine inside the turbine um, we turn it heats to a temperature in a uh, pressure probe and the engine inlet is heated. So hot air flows into those. The airplane I fly, we have boots. So the wings have uh, leading edge of the wings. There's pneumatic boots. The uh, bleed pressure goes into that system, blows them up like balloons. Well, not really like balloons, but it blows air in there into these little rip. They they expand and make these little ribs, mm. breaks the ice off. So those are de-ice. So once the ice is accumulated, you activate those and then the ice will shed off. They'll expand and, and break the ice off. Mm -hmm. And then I flew in other airplanes that have heated wings. If I had my choice, I would take a heated wing airplane over an airplane with de-ice boots any day because those you can turn them on ahead of time. They get hot. Ice won't stick to them. It just right. melts right off, and I, I love them. Um, but those are the general anti-ice and de-ice systems we have. We also have heated windshields. Yes. And heated side windows. We talked about anti-ice and de-ice. Can you explain the difference for the listeners of de-ice and anti-ice? De-icing is the basically act of getting rem removing any ice that you currently have formed on it. Anti-ice is preventing the f the reformation of that of that icing that could be occurring. Um, to 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 expand on. I guess the differences between the different aircraft. We have everything that that Tim was talking about on the Challenger 605 and 650. We have heated wings, uh, heated inlets. Um, we have a very specific procedure. If we get that ice light on it, I was telling you, we the very first thing that we do is we turn our uh, engine ignition on to make sure that the engines are protected. The next things we do is we turn on our um, cowl anti-ice and then we turn on our wings and it's done in that order and reversed in order to make sure that we have protection for everything and it, i forgot to mention also we have lights also to see yes. ice we have a little red light that shines up on the uh co-pilot's windscreen so if ice accumulates on the center um column or the the, the post where the two front windshields meet, there's a piece of metal, the post right there. It shines right there onto an unprotected area, and it's yes. red, so it doesn't ruin your night vision, but you can see the ice. But we also have um, ice lights that shine out on the wings, so we can see the ice on the leading edges. Yes, we have the same. Um, when I flew other types of aircraft, we had specific areas on the aircraft that were, um, we'll say them un unpainted or, or very easy for us to see, and if we if we got ice 
occurring in that area, then we, we may be considered to be in severe icing. Then we'd have a, a special procedure that we'd have to follow. So each airplane, doesn't matter what it is, um, we can probably talk about TKS in here in a minute. And um, so that has to do with a really, really, believe it or not, a very old concept of a weeping wing. So basically you have a wing uh, leading edge that has um, thousands, if not millions of holes drilled into it with a laser or some other very cool device. And there is um, a, a fluid called TKS, which is pressurized um, in a system and then pushed out through all those microscopic holes and creates a film, which the idea is that if the ice starts um, forming on top of the fluid, it'll just basically shed off. But what's so, the downside to that system? The downside is if you don't turn on the anti-icing system and and, uh, and it, you only have probably five gallons of this generally, I'm thinking about a Cirrus, uh, an SR-22. The new ones have 10, I believe, but that's not a lot. Uh, no. If you don't get that running, what happens is all those holes fill up with ice first. The TKS cannot come out or it starts coming out of areas where you don't want it to. And now you're not protected. And now you're in a really big jam. And I have done that, Tim. I've been in an SR-22. I did not have the TKS on prior to the, um, well, I didn't know I was going to enter icing. I, I just didn't know. And then all of a sudden I look out and I see, it was actually my wife looks out she goes honey um yeah there's a little bit of ice out there what do we think about that kind of thing and turn the tks on and it took oh man it took a long long time to shed that ice and i was very nervous because i was like well what if what what if the wing uh, sheds from one side and not the other what's it going to do and i think that's mm -hmm. an unknown thing when it comes to tks yeah and even at our airplanes i mean they're pretty robust if we get ice, it's no big deal. You turn on the, the engine anti-ice and the de-ice boots or heated wings. But even when that happens, I know my answer to this. So when you're in icing conditions, even with an airplane approved for it, do you try to get out of icing conditions? Absolutely. Um, and I do. Yeah, and that, that was my answer. Even yeah. though we can fly into it, we get it, we still want to get out of it. We'll do what we can to get out of it. Well, for example, means like coordinating with ATC. 100%. Like, for example, if you're getting a holding clearance, I will refuse a holding clearance if mm -hmm. I have to hold in icing. That's just not going to happen. No. And I had to do that one time. I was going into Newark the night of the Super Bowl. It was after the Super Bowl. We'd flown across the country, went back into Newark. Mm -hmm. We were doing the ILS to, uh, I can't remember which runway. But one of the runways, the, the localizer went down. So we had, they had to clear off the other runway. And it, luckily it only took them 15 minutes to clear off a 10 or 11,000 foot runway. It was super fast. Wow. And in that time, we had to go hold. Well, guess what? It's freezing rain. And freezing rain means warm air above. But we were holding at the altitude where the ice was accumulating. Like, we need to get out of this. So we climbed a 1,000 feet up. It was above freezing. Everything yeah. was fine. They cleared the runway off. We went back, shot the ILS approach, landed, 
and there's um it was a there was snow on the ground but it was a mixture of like snow pellets and snow mm-hmm. and it was just just nasty nasty weather nothing anybody would want to fly in if they didn't have to um but we ended up staying the night we got back to that airplane the next morning it had a half an inch of ice all over it clear ice just covered wow i won't say how much the de-icing bill was on that but i hold the record at my company <laughs> for the most expensive de-ice bill and it also like i said it depends on location yes that was in the northeast the new york new jersey port authority they have certain like i guess i'll just it was expensive there is all i'll say but if you go to other places around the country in the middle of nowhere, it's a little bit cheaper. There's less taxes and regulations. You may not pay as much. So that was part of the reason for the higher price. So, so but that, yes, we try to avoid it, even though we have the capability to stay into it. And if we get severe icing, well, that's called severe icing because the systems on your airplane still can't get rid of it. Yes. And you want to avoid that at all costs. So we talked about going into Scottsdale in the past, um, kind of a choice location for a lot of private jets. I've gone in there, Tim, and I've actually landed, and we've we were we got a lot of ice, believe it or not, coming in there, and and you just never know when that's going to happen. Yeah, and let me guess, they don't have de-icing capabilities there. They have absolutely nothing there. <laughs> yeah, and that that happened. To, we were talking before the show. I I flew today. The place I was supposed to go to, they were getting uh, wintry conditions, no hangar. Mm-hmm. No de-icing capabilities, so you're stuck. So we had to switch to a different airport where they weren't getting any wintry conditions, and it was above freezing the whole time. So all we were able to do, um, thankfully, the, I mean, the flight was terminated, but so the next day, uh, ourselves and many other aircraft, the only thing that you can do, well, first of all, the hangars aren't heated there, Tim. There's no mm-hmm. heat in the hangars. It's it's yep. it's Scottsdale, Arizona, right? Yeah, it gets hot, but not it always gets in the hot. time. Well, and people are like, "There's snow there." Absolutely, I've seen snow in Scottsdale, and there's definitely snow in the, uh, the surrounding mountains and all that. But it is weird to see, um, you know, snow there. But there, well, the here's a little run the getting I off is hot water. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what's the holdover time on hot water. Uh, zero. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I've been de-iced in Dallas, Texas, of all places. And that's that's the thing you, in pre-flight planning you have to look at. The place yes. we're going, do they have de-icing capabilities? And you get the southern half of the United States, with a few exceptions of very large airports like Dallas-Fort Worth, there's no de-icing equipment. But Dallas, Texas can get, or just Texas in general, they get snow in the winter. It yes. can get very cold down there. But you go to Florida, uh, you Maybe northern Florida you'll get snow, but chances are if you wait till 8 to 10 o'clock in the morning, it'll all be gone anyway. Yeah. So it's not an issue. But it, it does happen where you go to a place, there's no hangar, there's no de-icing capability, but they are getting wintry weather, and you're just stuck until the weather warms up. I've actually had a lot of ice going into Maui, believe it or not. And uh, that sounds weird, but- There's a lot of moisture in the air, and there, it, there is. a loft. Yeah, Exactly. So one thing I wanted to quickly mention to everybody, we're just touching, you know, the very, very surface of this topic of winter operations and winter flying and and all of that. I would suggest to you, 
If you want to head over and do more information or check out some more information for yourself, go to uh, NASA's, N-A-S-A, NASA's Aircraft Icing Training, and it's called aircrafticing.grc.nasa.gov. And first of all, there's a number of courses, and these are all free. There's a pilot's guide to in-flight icing, and that's what Tim and I are talking about right now. There's one on holdover time factors, um, fluid basics, so all the different fluids that we talked about, type 1, 2, 3, and 4, and the, the different colors and what they do. And then there's a ground operations procedure uh, training. So this is all free. I also know there's another one over um, at for small aircraft called Icing Protection Systems Training at the FAA's uh, website, just to look up small airplanes, Icing Protection Systems Training, because we're just kind of going, we're just glossing over this stuff, not to... Yeah, it was very yeah. quick and basic. And then I'll throw this in real quick. as a From a practical standpoint, when you get de-ice, you talked about uh, de-icing fluid was a certain brand. Normally, when you're in an FBO and you need de-iced, you just tell the front desk, hey, we need to get de-iced. They'll yes. put you in the queue. Uh, some places will have a TV screen. Fancy places will have a TV screen. You can see the order of your airplane. But for the most part, you need to get de-iced. Uh, the next question is, what are your de-iced procedures? Every airport, it's different. They have a certain spot where you might have to taxi the airplane to get de-iced. Uh, some of them will de-ice you near the departure into the uh, where you're or near the departure into the runway where you're departing from right before you cross old short line. I've seen that. Yes. Um, it can vary from place to place. There's also a dedicated frequency where you talk to the uh, de-ice truck, and they'll ask you, what do you want? Make sure they're giving you what you want, the, the proper uh, fluid. But normally it, the truck has just type 1. A different truck will have type 4. They it, One truck does one fluid. Um, that's my experience. But you're able to talk to the to the de-icer on a dedicated frequency. And then usually when it's done, they'll say your aircraft's clear. They tell you how many gallons they pumped, and you're off on your way. And then you got to complete the appropriate checklist after being de-iced. And, but that that's pretty much it. I agree. Um, the only thing I would add there is, um, you know, being a former airline pilot and, you know, doing a lot of de-icing in Canada and in the, up in the Arctic... Uh, communications, you just brought that up, is extremely important. Unfortunately, um, aircraft de-icing staff have been killed because of aircraft moving before they're supposed to move, and communications are critical. So one of the things that happens is you taxi in, you stop, you may switch to another frequency, and they're basically going to say, confirm that the aircraft is ready for de-icing, and then you're going to tell them, yeah, we're all good to go. And then they're going to start the procedure. They're going to tell you when the holdover time, or sorry, when the type four has started. You're going to start your holdover time at that point for that. In other words, so many different procedures, so many different SOPs. Every other company has their own procedure. Every airline has their procedure. You know, check out the procedure that you have. If you want to know more about this stuff, like I said, check out the generic NASA aircraft icing training, again, is for in-flight icing and the, that ground operation, de-icing operations. It explains everything in there in great detail, and it's what I used way back when. Icing conditions are never fun. It's just something you just, you have to go through. There was one year I went 
I thought I'm not going to have to get de-ice this winter. But then it was in April. Passengers wanted to leave an hour early. I had to get de-iced. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had to that that one year. But I I get you get de-iced pretty much every year. And another thing we did not hit on, um, as far as equipment that the airplane has, mm-hmm. we also have potable water, as you do too. You have running water. You have sinks. We have two sinks in our airplane. Um, the lav. When it, your airplane's going to be parked outside, all that stuff, with us anyway, that water has to be drained. We can drain Absolutely. it in the air. Not the lab, but the potable water can be drained in the air. Yes. Uh, so that has to come out. If it doesn't, that will cause thousands of dollars of damage to the airplane. And Absolutely. those water lines are all heated. Well, there's little ribbon heaters around those water lines, and those are heated um, in the air just from the water flowing through the lines. Uh, we have hot water heaters in the airplane in addition to that, but... The lines themselves are heated. So there's a lot of considerations. Uh, it definitely is, Tim. Winter operations. It's, you, it, the normal stuff is all there, but then there's all this other stuff. And it's hardest right at the beginning of the winter season because you haven't used any of those procedures. They haven't been in your thought process in probably nine months. So yes. this, this time of year, and I've heard it where I work, they always say, make sure you review winter procedures. From reading through the sections in the QRH, FAA materials, NASA materials, um, operations for the airplane as far as draining the water. We have a checklist for all that stuff, but there's a, a lot going on. Yes, there is. Uh, other, there's so many other things we didn't touch on. There's stuff called tailplane icing, which is a phenomenon they didn't really realize until quite late in the game. There's a specific way to get out of tailplane de-icing st- or tailplane icing stalls. Um, mm-hmm. we didn't really talk about the different type of icing. Um, you know, there's from gl- what they call glaze or clear ice. There's uh, mixed ice. There's rime ice, which is kind of what we generally get most of the time. And that yeah. happens around minus 10 or so. So there's many, many, many different things that we didn't talk about. If you want to know more and, and we know in the future, maybe we can talk about super critical icing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that there's, there's so many different things that we could talk about. If you want to know more, please let us know, um, by a discord, um, the good old fashioned way, the corporate pilot guys podcast at gmail.com and any other ways there, Tim. Uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, the corporate pilot guys podcast at gmail.com and through our discord server, which is the corporate pilot guys podcast on discord. Um, That'll get you the fastest response. And the other thing that I really like about that, uh, the Discord server, is people can have discussions and learn from others. Yes. And that's what I really like about Discord. If you don't have it, it's free. Uh, I first got it a few years ago, and I thought, oh, what am I going to use that for? I use it all the time. It is the most simple to use uh, program and app ever for messaging it's it's great voice messaging video uh you can screen share i love it and we record this podcast through discord we do so that's all we have like we said we have a lot more information we could have covered this was just hitting the the skimming the surface of winter ops and getting de-iced and flying in icing conditions there's so much more that we could have discussed like if we get into icing conditions all the systems are working, but there's a residual ice on the airplane. Well, what's that do to our approach speeds? A lot of things change. 
Yeah. So there's still a lot more information, but due to time constraints, we'll have to leave this for another day. And if you have a topic idea, please let us know by via email or through the Discord server. We'd love to hear it and love to possibly talk about it. Absolutely. Great to hear you from you, Tim. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk to everybody very, very soon. Yes, and enjoy the coffee I sent you. I will. And I'll be I'll be drinking your coffee that you sent me uh, tomorrow. Awesome. Thanks very much. So, all right, you're welcome, and everybody, thank you for listening. Take care, everybody.